you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney prior to and during questioning. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. You understand your rights? Warning. Each episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast will contain descriptions of acts of violence or of a sexual nature and are for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show. These facts I'm retelling were presented to me by the victims of the crime or the perpetrators who committed the crimes. My descriptions of the crime scenes are what I saw with my own two eyes. If you are going to get offended, turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life Real Crime, the podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. And before we get started today, I want to give a quick shout out to a friend of Real Life Real Crime. And that's Lainey with True Crime Fan Club. Y'all got to check out her podcast. Let me introduce you to her now. Hi, I'm Lainey, host of the True Crime Fan Club podcast. If you're a true crime addict like I am, then my show is for you. I'll peel back the curtain and give you a glimpse into the life and crimes of some of the most demented minds. Check out the episode Broken Bonds and listen to a brother reveal a deeply held secret. Or hear about the day that the heavy metal community will never forget in the episode Dimebag. These episodes are just a sample of our catalog, so you have plenty to binge. Just search for True Crime Fan Club Podcast and any podcatcher. You won't want to miss an episode. And there you have it, Lainey with True Crime Fan Club. Y'all go check her out, give her a listen, like it, subscribe, and go to her social media and let her know that Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast sent you. So we're going to start today's episode, which is titled Duty on the Fourth. Now, 4th of July is America's birthday, right? Everybody loves the 4th of July. You have barbecue and swimming and fireworks and parades, and it's America's birthday, right? Great time, summertime, kids are out of school, everybody gets off of work, and it's just a big hoorah for everybody. Everybody that is, except for law enforcement. Now, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories of what happened to me when I worked uniform patrol, or you can call it criminal patrol, on the 4th of July. The 4th of July, y'all, 
is by far the worst day of the year or night of the year to work as a law enforcement professional. All right. Now you would think it would be New Year's Eve or something like that, but no, it's, it's not. Believe me, the fourth is the worst and it's really bad when the fourth falls on a weekend, especially like on a Sunday or Monday, either way. And it's because people start partying on Friday when they get off and then they party Saturday. And then, then by the time Sunday comes, you know, you just have more fights and disturbances and it's just crazy. So I'll tell you way back when, and I don't remember what year it was, but this is my vivid memory of one fourth of July. And I was working uniform patrol for the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. And I was working the night shift from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. Now, generally, I would go 10-8 or on duty about 20 minutes early every day at about 5.40 p.m. so the day shift could get home and they didn't have to catch any last-minute 911 calls or anything like that, and they could get home at a decent time. So we went 10-8 from our houses or our residences, and 10-8 is on duty or in service. And that's because we were so spread out at such a big parish, and we didn't have roll calls or anything like that. But we'd probably do that like once a month. We'd meet up at the sheriff's office before shift and go over things that needed to be discussed, et cetera. But other than that, we went literally walked out your door and got in your unit, and you went 10-8 on the radio. And... That's it. So that day, and it was hot. And y'all look, July, I think that's part of the problem with 4th of July is the heat. It's hot. I walk outside. I always would go out and turn on my unit, let it start to cool off, and then go back in and put my gun belt on. So I go out there, and it must be 150 degrees inside the car. Turn it on, kick the AC full blast, roll the windows down, let some of the heat out, and I go back inside. By the time I get back inside, I'm already covered in sweat. You remember you have on a uniform, boots, vest, and then you put on the heavy gun belt with your pistol, your baton, or as it was called an ASP, ASP, it's an expandable baton, your freeze plus P, your radio, two pairs of handcuffs, two extra magazines for your duty weapon. I mean, and then it's this big belt, right? I mean, it's so big that you have to use belt retainers to lock it on over your belt that goes through the belt loops on your pants. Anyway, I put the gun belt on and go outside, climb in the unit, call on the radio. I say 361-259-108, what you got holding. And the radio came back, 259-361. We have a 103D 911 call in French settlement. I said, all right, 10-4-1, in route. And so what that means is there was a domestic violence disturbance call that came in 911. Now, I lived in Albany, and I was about 25, 30 minutes away from French Settlement, which is in the very extreme southern part of the parish. And it takes that long to get there because the road through the southern end of the parish, Louisiana Highway 22, follows the river and the waterway and there's like probably 15 90 degree turns that you can only go like 15 miles an hour around 
So I called back. I knew it was going to take me a while. And I, and I called back. I said, 361259, what's the status on the 911? And it came back. said, 259361, it's code four at this time. Wife advises that the husband has passed out. So it's code four at this time, meaning everything's okay. So I'm like, okay, I don't have to really rush, right? So I took my time getting down there. And it's, it was on a street I'd never been on before. And I turned on the street. And there's like six trailers to the left side of this little gravel road. And I'm pulling down, looking for the address on the trailer. And it didn't take long for me to figure it out because as I'm pulling up, I see this woman come running up and she's screaming and jumping up and down, waving her hands. So I pull up and I jump out on her and I look at her and she's beat to shit. Her mouth is bloody her lips are busted, her eyes swollen shut. But she's screaming. I mean, we're close to the trailer, right? It's my unit, me, then her, and it's not 15 feet to the door. And it's a little bit small trailer, single wide, to the door on the other side of her. And she's screaming frantically. She's like, he's got my baby. He's got my baby. He's going to kill it. He's got my baby. You got to get my baby. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, hold on. I said, they told me that your husband was passed out. And at the same time I said that, the front door kicks open and there stands this guy. And I'm going to describe him to you. And I'm a pretty big guy, right? Six foot two. And he must have been six foot five, six foot six, maybe a little bit more. I don't know. But he was tall and he didn't have a shirt on and he was skinny but muscular, but long, nasty ass hair, uh, beard. I think he had on like camouflage shorts and no shoes and, you know, covered in tats. And he's standing there, but I'll never forget it. He's holding this kid. And I say kid, I mean, I really mean like a toddler, probably a year and a half old, is holding it underneath its arm like it's a rag doll. And, you know, the kid's screaming and he's holding it in his right hand. He's hollering him, starts hollering me, you get the fuck out of here, you motherfucker. And he's waving the kid like a rag doll. And I'm like, and then he get, he goes back in and he shuts the door. I'm like, fuck that. So I immediately, without thinking, I mean, I didn't call it in or anything. I, well, I ran in after him, right? And I threw the door open and he's standing right there. And it's a little bitty living room with a love seat right to her right. And a wall over the hallway to the left and went back to the bedroom. And then there's a a small wall, which would have been to his right-hand side and with the same arm the kid's in. And there's a kitchen on the other side of that. So he's, you know, I come in after, I'm like, dude, just you know, give me the kid, give me the kid. And he swung at me with his left hand because the kid was in his right hand. And to this day, I don't know what happened to the baby. I mean, because it all happened so fast. But... I think the mama must have caught the baby or that he dropped the baby. I don't I don't remember. But I know the baby wasn't involved in what happened next. And when he swung with the left hand, it was a tight area. I ducked to my right and I was able to miss his swing, but his fist hit my shoulder mic. Now shoulder mics back then our microphones ran from the radio on our gun belt, on your duty belt, up to your shoulder. Mine was always on my left shoulder. And I would have to reach over and press the button and turn my head to the left to talk into it. It was clipped to your shoulder on a like a lapel on the uniform on the top of the shoulder. So he swings with his left. I duck. And he hits my shoulder mic and knocks it off. And then 
it was on. The fight was on. I, I don't know what happened to the baby, but the fight was on. All this defensive tactics and all the stuff they teach you in the police academy on how to take people down and do palm heel strikes and all the straight arm bar takedowns and all the brake wheel stuns and all that bullshit goes out the window when somebody's swinging on you in your face. And I closed the distance on him and tried to grab him. And he was, oh, it was hot in that trailer too. It was hot and it stunk. And I tried to grab him and he's all sweaty. And so I couldn't really get a hold on him. And evidently he had his other hand free because he started punching me. And as I tucked my head into his chest, I flipped him to our right and we flipped over that love seat and went down on the floor and landed on top of the coffee table. And then shit, it was just on. It was Fist City at this time. And I heard my dispatcher call 361 or UCO4. Um, I had the best dispatchers in the world. They knew me and they knew if I didn't respond that sugar had turned to shit and they better send the cavalry, right? So Tammy Forbes was the dispatcher the other day and she's deceased now. What a sweetheart and a hell of a dispatcher. But she said, 361, are you code four? And I didn't respond because I'm on the floor now in a fist fight. So we're rolling like uh, up against this table and rolling back and forth and we're swinging on each other, literally punching each other. And he was stronger than me. And plus, he was higher than hell. I think he was on meth. My, I, I hit him as hard as I could and didn't even phase him, right? I'm trying not to let him get on top of me. And then I hear the radio again, 361, are you code four? And of course, I can't answer it. I'm fighting. And he gets the best of me. He gets on top of me. And when he gets on top of me, he's sitting on my waist, straddling me. And he's sitting on my Freeze Plus P. And y'all, Freeze Plus P is like mace on steroids, right? Very effective after about 45 seconds and helping to control somebody because it involuntarily makes their eyes shut and it makes them feel like they can't breathe, et cetera. And you've heard me talk about it in other stories. But so these are my options. Dude's on top of me. He's raining down punches. I'm, I've got my hands up trying to block the punches, et cetera, and still trying to grab a hold of his arms. And he comes down with his right hand, and I'll never forget it. And I have a scar on my nose to this day, the tip of my nose. If you ever meet me, you can look at it and see it. He had these long-ass, dirty fingernails, and he came down with his right hand, and he dug it into my face. And his middle finger, I'm sorry, I'm messing up the mic because I'm recreating it right now with, with my own hand. His middle finger dug into the bridge of my nose, and then the other two fingers were on uh, into my cheeks and cheekbones on the either side of my nose, and his hands on my face, and he's pinning my head back. And at this point, I'm trying to get that hand off of me, and he's still raining down punches with his other hand. And I'm like, holy shit. And I'm thinking, I can't get to my freeze, and I can't get him off of me. I mean, he's, he's higher than fuck on whatever, and he, he's got me. And I can't let him beat me until I pass out, and I'm going to have to kill him. Because I, I was still able to get my hand on my weapon. And I'm, all this is happening in like milliseconds, right? In instant process. And I'm like, I know this dude is going to knock me out. I, he's got me pinned now, and he's got his claws literally sunk into my face, 
and he's beating the shit out of me. And I'm thinking, this is it. I was reaching for my pistol and I was going to have to pull my pistol and kill him. And it just clicked in my head. I'm looking into his claw that his thumb was on the right side of my face. The other three fingers are dug in, his thumb's on the right-hand side. As I'm reaching for my pistol, at the last second, I hear the radio team says, all units, 1033, TAC-2 for 361. All units respond to 361's location. And she gave the address. Well, that means nobody could talk in case I need to do an emergency broadcast and for everybody to come because it was bad, right? Sugar had turned shit and it really had. I thought I was going to have to kill him. But that last second, as I'm reaching for my pistol, that thumb is right there. And I reached up and I bit that son of a bitch. I tried to bite it off. I bit down as hard as I could. And they say down in the swamp, we have snapping turtles or loggerhead turtles. And they say, if, if a loggerhead turtle ever bites you, it'll never let go until the next time it hears thunder. And I bit down on this son of a bitch and I knew I was still reaching for a pistol. And I knew if this didn't work, if I couldn't get his hand out of my face, him to stop hitting me, I was going to have to kill him. So I bit down on that thumb and I bit it down to the bone and I tried to bite that fucker off. And that pain evidently was enough for him to check himself for even just for a few seconds. I mean, when the pain hit him, I'm talking about I'm literally down on the bone trying to bite through the bone and bite his whole thumb off. And he screams and he takes his hand out of my face. And I won't let go, right? And then he's trying to hit me with his other hand, but I'm just down on the thumb. And then I was able to get the upper hand, and the fight was on again. Except for this time, I transferred from my duty weapon to my freeze plus P, and I was able to get it out. And I never let go of his thumb. And he was hitting me on the back of my head, but I was able to get the freeze plus P out and start spraying. Well, fortunately... I had been trained in Freeze Plus P many, many times, sprayed with it in the training, and then I had fought in it so many times. And if you heard the episode in the closet, you know, anytime you use a Freeze Plus P, especially when you're in close contact like that, you're going to get some of it also. But I didn't get it as bad as this cat did. I was just emptying the whole can on him, and he let go because it takes about 30 or 45 seconds. It starts burning immediately. But then after about 30 seconds or so, your eyes just involuntarily shut. You can't open them. You physically can't do it. Then the freeze plus P, which is basically tear gas plus pepper spray, the freeze plus P starts to take away your breath. It makes you feel like you're drowning and that you can't breathe. But at this time, I'm fucking exhausted, right? I'm sweaty. I've been beat on. And I'm really glad they didn't have mixed martial arts. When I was a kid, these MMA fighters, the UFC stuff, because I probably would have done it. I used to do a lot of boxing, but if you've ever been in a fight like that, three minutes seems like 300 years, especially when you're on the bottom end getting your ass whipped by a meth head that's all tweaked out. And so a spray, and at some point, another unit arrives, uh, John T., Wilkerson, my road buddy and my academy buddy got there and he dives in also. And then another unit arrived 
and my unit, I mean, another officer arrived and they came running in and he dived in. Now, look, it's hard to handcuff someone that doesn't want to be handcuffed. And you add in the fact that it was like 110 degrees inside this trailer. This dude's got no clothes on. So every time you touch his skins, your hands are sliding with the sweat. The whole room is full of freeze plus pee, and everybody's breathing it, but although this dude got the worst of it, and it was still a fight until the freeze plus pee kicked in enough where he felt like he couldn't breathe, and then he started freaking out a little bit, and somehow we were able to get him in cuffs. Well, we get him out of the trailer. They called for an ambulance because I'm covered in blood. And I'm bleeding from my face, from my nose, and from my cheeks. But he's bleeding like a stuck pig. But I had blood in my mouth and had gone all down my chin onto my shirt from biting his damn thumb off or trying to. And the ambulance comes. And I told him, I said, y'all, y'all got to get this fucker to sign a waiver and that he doesn't want to go to the hospital or one of us is going to go have to sit at the hospital all night or may, it may be a day until they release him and then we're going to have to book him. So medics came and one of them came to me and, and they were cleaning me up. And I told him I'm more worried about catching AIDS from this fucker or some other disease that doesn't even have a name known to man yet, right? Nasty ass. But I definitely had his blood in my mouth and I definitely had his claw marks on my face and all that. And so they were cleaning me up. And meanwhile, they were working on him and they bandaged his thumb up the best they could and wrapped it up good. And, and they were like, just tell it. John T was like, sir, sir, do you, you need to go to the hospital? Do you need to go to the hospital? And the guy was like, fuck you, motherfucker. Not a fuck you. And it's like, that's good. Uh, but he refuses and I'll sign for him since he can't write because <laughs> his hand's injured. To wrap the scene up, the wife had to seek medical attention, and we had to wait for somebody to come and get the kid, and then John T. took the dude and booked him for me for the domestic violence, and then a good felony charge. Well, he had a 108, which is resisting an officer, and then we charged him with a felony charge of second-degree battery. Now, second-degree battery it's pretty much like attempted murder in the state of Louisiana because a battery is an unwanted touching. Now, Louisiana is under the Napoleonic Code of Law. So our battery and assault is exact opposite of how it is in the rest of the United States. Where you have outside of Louisiana, if you punch somebody, that's an assault, right? And then if you threaten someone, it's a battery. Well, Inside the state of Louisiana, it's reversed. The battery is the hitting or the striking, and the assault is the actual threat. So, so I charged him with second-degree battery, which is a serious felony. And what escalates from simple battery, which is unwanted touching, and it is a misdemeanor. It's just a regular hit. The, what escalates that to second-degree battery is if you lose consciousness from the hit, if you suffer extreme pain, or you get scarred, or you have to seek medical attention as a result of the hit or hits or blow or blows. And I had to seek medical attention from my face. And even though it wasn't much, right, but still it's a good felony charge. And that piled on top of everything else he got, the resistings and and the domestic violence, et cetera. I just want to make sure that asshole wasn't getting out of jail. And so 
John Laudermill showed up. He was supervisor at the time. And he was like, fuck that, you know, get his ass to the jail and we'll deal with him later. And I still had to write the initial report on it, but I was going to do that later. And he was more concerned about me. John was, but I told him, I said, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, he just dug his claws into my face and they cleaned it up and put some bandages on it. But I had to go back the 30 minutes home to change uniforms. John wanted me to take off. And I was like, dude, there's no way. It was 4th of July weekend. And he's like, you're right. He said, I really do need you. But if you don't feel like it, he said, don't come back out. And I said, well, I'm going to go home and change and I'll get back 10-8. So I leave that scene. And the calls are popping, y'all. I mean, it's you know disturbance after disturbance and medical emergencies, people getting burned with fireworks. I'm listening to all this on the way back to my apartment. Get back to the apartment. A shower and change in uniforms, and I go back 10-8. Now, on the east side of the parish, a lot of times you were working by yourself, just like I responded to that 911 call by myself because there were only a couple of us. If you were lucky, you had three on duty on the, on the east side of the parish, but most of the time it was just two of us. So what was so important for us were the town units, Livingston Police Department, the Albany Police Department and the Springfield Police Department and Killian Police Department when they had somebody out. So a lot of times the town units were our closest back up to go in on hot calls. So anyway, I get dressed, put my shit back on, get back on the radio, 361-259-108, and immediately, 361, we have 911-103-D at Johnny and Johnny's. And I was like, oh, fuck. That's the last thing I need. Now, let me tell you about Johnny and Johnny. They were identical twins. I think they were like 18, 19 years old, but we dealt with them almost every week. And they lived at a, the end of a really narrow, dead end street in the, I guess you would call it a rural hood, right? There were houses packed tight together, but then it's woods all the way around it. I knew. I mean, I'd arrested them both so many times, and you should, you could not tell them apart. And every time I'd see one of them walking down the road, I'd call in and check warrants on them. And I'd say, check 17S on the Johnny. And they'd be like, which one? I'm like, both of them, because hell, I didn't know which one it was. And one time I called in, they called back and said, yeah, one of them had a warrant for whatever it was. Johnny and Johnny were physically fit young, but they were dumb as a box of rocks. And I think almost to the mentally handicapped point, you couldn't even hardly understand them when they spoke either. Their intelligence was way on the low end of the scale. They had no jobs, but they weren't dope heads. They were just dummies. Anyway, so that day I was driving down. I saw one of them called in and one of them had warrants. I didn't know which one it was. So I swung back around on them. I said, hey, Johnny. He said, hey, what's going on? And I said, um, hey, man, come on. It's hot out here. Let me give you a ride. And so he gets in the backseat of the car. Well, I got out and Pat Preston. And I said, I just, for officer safety, John, I got to make sure you're not carrying any bazookas or anything. And I put him in the backseat of the car. And I turned around from the opposite direction that he was walking in. And I took him to the jail. It took him like 10 minutes to realize well, we weren't going the way we were going. He's like, hey, where are you going? I said, uh, we're going to jail. I got to check on something real quick. He's like, oh, okay. 
So I pull around the back of the jail and I take him in and I said, fingerprint this fucker and see which one he is. And just so happened he was the one that had the warrants. So I booked him in that night. But anyway, so 911 call Johnny and Johnny. And Johnny and Johnny like to beat on their elderly mother. And I say elderly, she probably was in her 50s. And she was a character also, God bless her. And she would call the sheriff's office. They'd beat him this and then did this. And you got to come get some out of my house. And so, I mean, we were always there. And every time you turn on that street, they would run. And they would run into the woods. So I already knew I was fucked. And so I go over there and I got no units. John T. was way up north on a call. And the Springfield town unit, Terry Sanchez, who just made detective sergeant for the Hammond City Police Department last week, I think. So congratulations, Terry. Well-deserved. And then Leon Winstead, who is my brother from another mother, was AP4, Albany Police 4. And then Leon was a reserve or a part-time officer, and he didn't do it for the money. He was like a a ship captain on the Mississippi River, so he had a lot of time off, but he did it because he loved police work, and this dude was a straight-up great cop. The first night I ever went on duty on the east side of the parish, I was driving through Albany. He was out with a bad guy, and I mean, like I said, Leon's a little bit older, and this bad guy was a young, muscular dude, and boom, they are in a fist fight, and that's how I literally got to introduce myself to them is by diving in their fist fight, and which that guy's brother ended up diving in that fist fight too, and that was another story for another day. But Leon, super, super cop. Terry was a great guy too from Springfield, and Leon was like, 361, I'm going to come back you up, and Terry called from Springfield and said, 361, I'm going to come back you up, because they knew it was going to be a shit show. It was going to be a foot pursuit or whatever. So we turn on the street. And sure enough, fucking Johnny and Johnny are bailing out the back window of their mama's house and they hit the woods. And so I got pull up and I go tear. And she, she's like, he knocked me down. And she had her leg was bleeding. Evidently, they shoved her down into the coffee table or something. And I don't, I don't know which one of them did it. But she's like, you got to take them boys to jail. Da, 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 da. They were they starting their foolishness. I said, yes, it was great. Okay, you know, we're, we're going to get them, blah, blah, blah. So. Take the report, and we have to go after them, y'all. And I would like to let them go, but due to past experiences, I know if we didn't catch them, they were going to come back, and she was going to be calling all night long. So we're riding around looking for them because, like I said, it's kind of a rural hood, and it, uh, it's just a – I'm not being racist. I'm the last person in the world that's racist, but I'm just describing to you it's – it's just an area, a kind of a widespread area where the black folk had settled between Albany and Springfield in a rural area. So they're on foot and they're running. And so we're cruising around looking for them. And dispatch calls. It says 361. Got a report of the twins are breaking windows out of cars on such and such street. I'm like, fuckers. And so by the time we get to where the cars were, they're gone. Then I got to stop and take reports on these vehicles and get the vehicle identification number and make the reports for the victims. And so it's, now it's a time process, right? And before I can get done with the first three cars, 361, the twins are at such and such. They just busted it in somebody's front door. I'm like, fuck, here we go. So I'm having to leave them. And it was like leapfrog. I swear y'all went on for like two hours. So we split up. 
I'm going to call to call. The twins are, are going literally house to house and cutting through the woods to the next street. And they're just destroying everything like a tornado. Fucking busting every window they can find, kicking in doors. I mean, just crazy. And so we are chasing them. I'm, my reports are stacking up by the second. And I hear by this time it's dark. Leon, AP4, called and said, 361, I got him over here at the intersection and pull over. And I see Leon's car, but I don't see him. And then I look over on the ground and Terry pulled up behind me and I could see in the darkness some like movement. And I shine my light over there and there are Johnny and Johnny and Leon in a fist fight on the ground. And I'm like, shit, here we go. So I jump out and I run over and I dive in, right? And, and then Terry dives in and the fight's on again. Now it's three on two. And the spray comes out and people getting sprayed and blows are traded. And finally, we were able to affect the arrest on one of them and then the second one. And then, you know, advise them of their rights and put them in the back of the cars. And I asked Leon, I said, what happened? And now we're all dirty and hot and sweaty, and we've been breathing the freeze plus pee, and your noses are running and everything. It's just been a shit day. And he said, man, you will never believe what happened. I said, what? He said, I pull up to the four-way, and I look over, and I see Johnny and Johnny, and they are fist fighting each other. He said, I shine my light over, and these dumbasses are in a fist fight with each other and one of them put the other one in the headlock and they went to the ground and started fighting. He said, and I went over there and I figured, shit, I got to jump on one of them because if they get up, we'll be chasing our ass all night long. So he went over and dove in the pile on them. Leon was and is a badass and I, I will always have my respect. So we took them in and booked them and it's late by this time. And then I went and parked my car in a, one of my little secret hiding spots, praying that things would calm down. It's like three o'clock in the morning and it's a real rural country store and it has a highway in front of it, which nobody goes down this time of night. It's in, there's nothing out there, but there's really nothing coming off this road on the side. So I would park there and I would try to catch up on reports and do whatever. And I'm praying that nothing else breaks off tonight. I mean, I'm mentally and physically exhausted. I've got like a hundred reports to do. And so I'm parked in my little hiding spot. And some son of a bitch came. I could hear him before he got to me. They came down that road from the side of the store. It was a truck. And I'm like, what the fuck? And he passed me in the stop sign. I'm backed into the store. The stop, I can see the stop sign and the major highways runs horizontally in front of me. This street's coming from the right hand side. This some bitch came through and never checked up at the stop sign. And he jumped the main highway and disappeared on the other side. And I'm like, holy shit. I heard the crash. And I mean, it was like evil Knievel style. I'm like, holy shit. And I'm like, three, three, six, one, two, five, nine. Send medical, send rescue. I, mean, I hadn't even seen him yet, but I knew it was going to be bad. Send medical and send rescue. They got a Sigma 20, which is an accident at such and such. And so I pull up on the highway and I turn on my lights. And I put my spotlight down there. And this 
truck is demolished. It cleared. It must have been doing 50. And it was old, like a 1980s Toyota single cab pickup truck. And so I guess he was going as fast as he could go. And he just missed the stop sign and jumped that road and hit that telephone pole and T-boned it. And the driver was decapitated. All they had hanging was a little bit piece of skin. And then the passenger was dead. And there was one poor son of a bitch in the middle that the truck was smushed in. The some bitch in the middle was alive, but he was pinned in. And now remember, I'm in the middle of nowhere on purpose because I didn't want any more shit that night. And the dude that was pinned in was awake. And I go up on it. I'm looking at him like, you know, he's screaming. He's like, dude, you got to get me out. He's trying to get out, but he can't because his legs are pinned. Now his dead buddy's head's on him from the driver's side. And the other dude's obviously dead, the passenger. And he's there. He can get up to maybe his chest out of the passenger side window where I was. And I had to sit there and hold that dude and talk to him and try to calm him down. And he was, you know, pretty seriously injured also. But it was so far out there and there's no fire departments or anything like that. And it took like 30 minutes for the first first responder to get to me. And then when they got to me, I'm holding him and this guy's just been begging and crying. Please get me out of here. Please get out of here. And his head's on me. And, and I mean, just total shock. And so I'm standing there holding him all this time and it's hotter than hell. And, you know, just, just a horrible scene. But what made it even worse was the rescue teams that responded didn't have the capability to get the guy out of the truck. We had to wait for somebody to come. I think it might have been Dennis Springs. I don't know. It was a long. It, he was pinned there for the longest time, and he would beg me, "Please don't leave me. Please don't leave me." So I stood there and held that the for probably well over an hour until they were able to get there with the jaws of life and cut him out. So anyway, duty on the Fourth of July was always fucked up. And I mean, you knew it was going to be a wild ride and especially those long weekends. So much mad respect and love for everybody out that's out there this 4th of July, 10 and on duty, uh, stay safe and watch your six. I thank y'all and I hope you enjoyed this. I know it's a little bit different episode than what we would normally do from the murders and all that. But sometimes I like to tell the real crime part and the real life part of being a cop. And so I hope you enjoyed duty on the fourth and I hope y'all have a safe and happy fourth of July with your families, all you lifers out there. I love and appreciate each and every one of you. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder by you. All right, y'all. We're going to do a quick shout out to two podcasts that are friends of real life, real crime. And let me introduce you to True Crime Fix. How many of you know the name Linda Goff or Sarah Marslin? I bet you will have heard of their murderers, though. Fred West and Harold Shipman. Hi everybody, this is Steve, the host of True Crime Fix, the podcast which gives the story 
whilst giving the victim the loudest voice of them all. So far we've covered cases such as Coletta Ram, Kitty Genovese, Jackie Paul, JC Sawyer and Molly McLaren. I'll be releasing new episodes every other Friday via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify and all other available stations. So please come over and subscribe and give my podcast a listen. I really hope that you find these episodes informative. If you would like further information, please follow me on Twitter at True Crime Fix Pod or find me on Facebook, True Crime Fix Podcast. And remember, stay safe, look after each other and live life to the fullest because you never know who or what might be coming around the next corner. Take care, everyone. All right, so that was True Crime Fix. Y'all check them out and let them know that real life, real crime sent you. And now I'm going to introduce you to the True Crime Podcast, Mugshot. You've heard the stories of bloody murder and horrendous homicide. But what about the rest of the crimes people fall victim to every day? What about the burglar who broke into famous people's homes? What happened to the forensic chemist that falsified evidence? Who are the fraudsters, arsonists, stalkers, hackers, and more? I'm Lindsay, the host of Mugshot. Mugshot is a true crime podcast bringing you stories of the non-murderous crimes you didn't know you needed to hear. Be sure to find Mugshot on your favorite podcatcher and on all social media outlets at the handle at MugshotPod. But until then, stay out of trouble, or you may end up pictured in your very own Mugshot. And y'all, that's Mugshot. Give them a listen and go to the social media and let them know that real life, real crime, the podcast sent you. Okay, y'all, I want to do some shout outs now. They're much deserved or well-deserved and much overdue, if you will. And y'all know about our social media by now. We have the three Facebook pages, uh, the Real Life, Real Crime regular page, the Real Life, Real Crime friends, fans, and crew, which is well over 1,300 members this week. We actually passed 1,300 this week also, but now it's closer to 1,400 than it is to 1,300. And that's where our fans go, our lifers go, and we have a lot of true crime stuff on there. It's posted every day by our Dream Team moderators and me, and a lot of interactions with the fans. And it's just, I mean, if you like real life, real crime, you love this page. So get a, a look or send them a message. You have to be approved. We don't let people in without being approved by the Dream Team moderators because we're getting so big that we're getting trolls now, people that come in just to start shit. And so you have to be approved, which it doesn't take but a couple minutes. And join the group. It's awesome. And then we have a real life, real crime lanyard page where our lifers get on there and they get to share everything from their hobbies. So now we're actually doing a real life, real crime cookbook and people are submitting their recipes and all of them that are chosen are going to be named after a crime, et cetera. It's pretty cool. It's kind of an adult cookbook. It's going to have even people's favorite alcoholic beverages that they make, et cetera, all the way to meals and entrees and appetizers and what have you. I'm really looking forward to it. They have some good recipe submissions already. So y'all check that out. But today, of course, I want to thank all our members, all our fans and all our listeners. I love and appreciate each and every one of you. And 
we appreciate it if you haven't, if you'll go to iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to Real Life Real Crime and leave us a review. I'd appreciate that. And also like and subscribe and share our show. Now, I did a little mini small release earlier in the week telling y'all about the People's Choice Podcast Awards. And we are nominated in three categories, actually, for the first one is for the People's Choice Podcast of the Year Award. And the second category is Society and Culture. And the third category is Drama and Storytelling. So you can go to podcastawards.com and put in your information. It takes like five seconds. And then they direct you to the screen where you get to vote. So in that first category, the people's choice, you scroll down. There's a, there's a hell of a lot of podcasts in it, y'all. I mean, it's, it's worldwide. And you scroll down, it's an alphabetical order. So you see real life, real crime. You click on it and submit it. Same thing under society and culture. Scroll down, real life, real crime, submit it. And same thing, if you would, for drama and storytelling. So it's really a trip that the voting only goes to July 31st. And it's a real, I mean, we've been around five months, y'all. It's just a, it's an honor. It's a, it's a real cool thing and would appreciate your vote. So, but I wanted to say thank you, of course, to my patron members. I love and appreciate y'all and really, really you help us out financially. It takes a lot to, to produce these shows every week, and it takes a lot of time, mine and my wife's. And there's other things, you know, expenses and stuff like that. But I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you, and I'm telling you how much I appreciate it. And if you're not a patron member and you want to become one, you can go to patron.com and forward slash real life, real crime, and it'll bring it up. You can look at the different tiers. There's different amounts that you can pledge. And the same thing, you can go to our website. There's a link to it there, and that's www.realliferealcrime.com. Now, this is what's overdue, and I've been remiss, and I have the absolute best support, y'all, and my dream team that keep me straight. Now, everybody on the dream team has a different specialty, right? So, like, we have Promo Man, who's active in in promoting the show and then christine hernandez who is actually seeks out promo swaps for us and then you have karen ortolano who is the chief researcher and posts stuff in our group every day so what i'm telling you is everybody that is in my dream team has their own skill set and they do all this volunteer they just give countless hours of their time than every day. And we have our own private chat for the admin and, and moderators for the dream team. And that's going on. And we even have our own because that became so much where we're, we're interacting so much. A lot of important information was getting missed. So one of our dream team, Kimberly Stowers came up with creating our own dream team admin page. And the only thing that goes on there is, is important information. No, no general chit chat, but everybody does their own specialty in as much or as little as they want to. And they have are absolutely the reason that I'm still doing this podcast because of their promoting and pushing and insight and, and knowledge on all the different things. They are the reason that 
we have so many lifers. And I just want to take a, a couple of minutes to acknowledge them. I'm going to do it now, but in, in no particular order. They, they are all equally important to me, and I love them so much. So we have Miss Kimberlia Stowers, who's from Florida, and Kimberlia is a mainstay. She's been there from the beginning. She's just awesome and knows much uh, about podcasts, et cetera, and does so much behind the scenes. Kimberlia, I love you, and I appreciate you. And we have Shauna VL from Perth, Western Australia, and Shauna is fantastic. She has huge knowledge about podcasts. And y'all remember when I started this, I didn't know anything about a podcast. I'd never even heard of one before January. So we are fortunate and blessed to have people that are knowledgeable and are so into true crime and into podcasts in general and have all this knowledge. Sean has been a wealth of knowledge and she got us actually our first major promo with Cambo Ford and True Crime Island in Australia, one of the top shows. But Shauna, we love you and hope you're doing well and thanks for everything you do. And then Miss Cassie Wallace from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Cassie makes me laugh just about every single day with something crazy that she does, but she's awesome. She's an awesome moderator. She's an awesome promoter. Cassie, you're wonderful and I love you. And Christine Hernandez from San Diego, she is unbelievable. Uh, she should be promo woman. We have promo man, but Christine is landing just podcast after podcast after podcast uh, that we we like. The rule on us doing promos, at least one of the dream team has to listen to and like the show, right? And then they submit it to me and we decide whether or not to run it. But Christine is a genius at that. And she just she's just a love. And we love you, Christine. And appreciate you so much. And Rachel Franzen, that's my lady friend from Alaska who is about to give birth if she hasn't already. Like Rachel, the last time I saw you, you look like you're about ready to, to uh do the deal there, sweetie. <laughs> and so we're all praying for you and uh, we hope to hear from you and that everything's healthy and happy. And Rachel is the one who started our friends, fans, and crew page. And we love you, Rachel, and we appreciate you. And Miss Yvette Williams, also from California. Miss Yvette is a dear and she does a lot of stuff and she does her own thing, but it's very important what she does to real life, real crime and promoting us and moderating, et cetera. And Yvette, we love you and appreciate you. And Ryan Horan from North Carolina, he is the promo man and, and he, I'm sure you've seen videos of him. He runs contests and he promotes just about every day and, and talks about everything. A lot of it's on our Laniac page and our YouTube page. So, Ryan, you know, we love you, brother, and we appreciate everything that you do. And Kara Lee Coggins, and she is, I think, our newest Dream Team member. We met her at CrimeCon. She was already a fan. And she is a wealth of knowledge, right? I mean, just knew every true crime podcast and, and the people and the players and the producers, et cetera. And she 
wanted to help us and we wanted her help and she has been phenomenal. She's actually the creator of the Real Life Real Crime Cookbook and she's got a couple of videos y'all on the Lanyap page. Go check it out. Carolee, we love you. You're, you've been such a great addition to the team and I appreciate you so much. And Karen Ortolano, y'all heard her that she was my first live ever interview in Hit a Lick last week. And it's my mother from another mother, I guess you would say, but I affectionately refer to her as mom. She's awesome. She is a genius at research. But we did a bonus episode for Patron where I interviewed her about her career in correction. So y'all check that out, Karen. You know I love you. And Jenny White from up there in the, in the Golden Triangle in Northern California. Jenny is a very, very dear friend and promotes us like crazy. And every day on the Real Life Real Crime Friends, fans, and crew page, she does some type of interactive post with the fans. And it changes every day. So it's really cool. I don't know how she continues to come up with ideas that amazes me. But Jenny, we love you and thank you for everything you do and and have done we appreciate you and remember uh, I, if you go to the youtube channel you can see it her husband is the one that makes the coins and handing cars and engraves the coins and we love you jenny and gary anderson gary is kind of my silent warrior he uh he actually introduced us to minds of madness and tyler allen who has like the best voice ever right and he introduces to Jamie Rice and Murderish and some others. So we got to meet them at Crime Con and then we did promos with them, et cetera. But Gary is our numbers guy and I, I can call on him for anything and he always answers and he always has great input. Gary, brother, we really appreciate you and thank you for everything that you've done and that you're doing now and I appreciate you. And Last but not least, Karen Travels. Now, Karen would have been our second newest Dream Team member uh, before Carol Lee. And Karen is phenomenal. She she is the yin to my yang or however the hell that saying goes because I'm so disorganized. And you could tell me something and I'm like, yeah, 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 let's do it. And, And then... Something else come along and I'll forget about it. Well, Karen really saved my skin this week on something that I was supposed to do and then that I just didn't do it. And Karen, you know, she's, she does a lot more than that, but she, she keeps all her interactions with other shows straight and she promotes the show and everything. She's a fantastic dream team member. And Karen was so glad to have you. And I really do appreciate you and I thank you for once again pulling my booty out of the fire and we appreciate and love you and so y'all that's my dream team and if i left anybody out then then i'm just an idiot (laughs) but i appreciate y'all dream team we're moving forward our numbers i'm not going to tell you what they are but they are growing huge every day yesterday we had the second highest download day that we had since we started the show and I'm not going to tell you what the numbers are because 
Ryan Horan is running the contest for when we hit 200,000 downloads. If you guess the date and time and you're the closest to the date and time that it actually happens, then you win any piece of free merchandise that you want from the Real Life Real Crime merchandise store. And he's going to send you some salsa, homemade salsa and beef jerky. And let me tell you something. He sent me some and it's off the charts. My son and I ate all the the jerky in one day and I ate the salsa in like two days. So it's it's well worth it. Y'all go to our page and give it a guess. And But the numbers are phenomenal. And some fan complained and said, that I spent too much time talking about the show and that uh, he felt cheated because um, it was a 51-minute show and there was only 33 minutes of story and the rest of it was me talking about the show and I should quit talking about the show and the fans, I mean, the fans so much. And I said, you know what? Kiss my ass. I will always talk about my fans and show my appreciation. I don't give a damn. If you don't like it, turn it off because I'm going to do it every single show at the end of the show. I'm giving my shout outs and my praises because I love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. And I really, really, really do. So I love you. Appreciate you. I hope y'all have a happy 4th of July. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on murder by you. Peace. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney prior to and during questioning. If you can't afford one, the court will point one for you. You understand your rights?